Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, on this great day of rejoicing, Lord Jesus Christ, when we welcome you as our King and Savior, we also walk in the shadow of your cross. Hosanna, we cry. Blessed are you who come in God's name to save us. Hosanna. Strengthen our faith on this Palm Sunday so that when the time comes to carry the cross, we might still call out to you with heartfelt praise. Give us the grace and the courage to follow you this holy week from death to resurrection, from darkness to the fullness of light, we need you, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hosanna. Amen. Now, if you'll, for the scripture reading, if you'll turn to the Old Testament, Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2, and then verses 19 through 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected have, has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson this morning is the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as told in the Gospel of Mark. So we will read from the 11th chapter, uh, the first uh, 11 verses. When they were approaching Jerusalem, at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and I will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. 
Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it comes each spring as a signal that Easter is almost here. Our annual trip with Jesus down the western slope of the Mount of Olives. The parade is joyful with fans of Jesus waving palms and shouting hosannas. There is merriment in the streets. But I have to wonder, and maybe you have too, what was really going on in the spirit of Jesus? We know what the people were doing. But we are told of Jesus. The only thing we're told of Jesus is that he sat on the colt, he rode into Jerusalem, that he went into the temple, he looked around, and then he went back out, back out to Bethany with the twelve. I would love to know a little more. I'd love to know, did Jesus have a smile on his face during the parade? Did Jesus wave back? Were there tears in his eyes? If so, were they tears of joy or tears of dread? What was happening around him was a tragic comedy of sorts. The ironic parade of Palm Sunday would quickly descend into darkness over the coming week. Jesus had already predicted openly what would happen to him in Jerusalem. Three times he had done it. Three times he had said that the Son of Man would undergo undergo great suffering, that he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and that he would be killed and after three days rise again. Three times they heard it, and three times they seemed to dismiss it. And all of this highlights something that I really can't get beyond. Isn't it a little odd to have a parade before a great trial? To me, a parade makes more sense after a great feat is accomplished. We see those kinds of parades all the time. A ticker tape parade after a war is won. Super Bowl champions bringing the Lombardi Trophy back to their hometown. An astronaut rolling down Pennsylvania Avenue after a successful trip to the moon. Or a little closer to Earth, there was the parade last May in Beaumont, Texas, when doctors and nurses at Christus St. Elizabeth Hospital lined up to cheer patient Sheila Scott, Sheila had been battling COVID in the ICU for months, and they almost lost her several times. But she began to improve. And May 4th last year, 
Word spread through the hospital that Sheila had fought her way back and had gained enough ground to move back to a regular room. Dozens of masked hospital staffers lined the hallways, waving and cheering and singing as her hospital bed rolled past them down the hallway. And then there's 39-year-old Jamie Hom, a breast cancer survivor from Pittsburgh, who rang the bell after her last chemo treatment roughly one year ago today. And under normal circumstances, that bell ring would have been accompanied by cheers of friends and family lining the halls. Unfortunately, due to COVID restrictions, no one could be with her in the hospital, so she missed her parade, or so she thought. Because right as she got home, an unexpected drive-by parade began. The local chapter of the Young Adult Survivors United Support Group had made signs and formed a caravan and took turns waving from cars as they honked and cheered their way past Jamie's house. I get all of those parades. It makes sense to have a parade on the back end when the trial is over, when the battle is won. But it's kind of rare and perhaps even a little out of place to mount a parade beforehand. Think about it this way. When one of you is getting ready for surgery of one kind or another, I've heard many of you say that the hardest part is the day before, the buildup of knowing that you have to get up and go and do this difficult thing, and you want to go in and just get it over with. But it's not time yet. And there's not much to do except watch the clock. As Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. And in my experience, not many people want a parade in those hard waiting moments. I certainly would not. And I have to think that was where Jesus' spirit was during his donkey ride into town. There was waving and cheering around him, but the trials ahead had to have been on his mind. The great feat, the main challenge, the hardest work still lay before him. And I expect that the verses of Psalm 22 were already running through Jesus' mind. He would quote that psalm from up on the cross five days hence. But the words may already have been whispering in his ear, even as the palms waved and the hosannas raised around him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, I am poured out like water. And all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Jesus knew that he was quickly approaching the hours when his life would be poured out as an offering. He knew that his cup was about to be emptied completely as a costly sacrifice. And I cannot imagine that he was feeling up to a parade. 
The idea that Jesus was poured out like water, or rather that Jesus voluntarily poured himself out for us, is a primary focus of Donald McKim's book, Living into Lent, as we begin our final week with purple colors. Jesus poured his life into our lives, McKim writes, filling our lives with newness we could never imagine. We enter Holy Week in awe and wonder at God's amazing love poured out for us in Jesus Christ. Notably, the spiritual discipline of pouring is also a primary focus of the Apostle Paul, who calls every disciple to imitate the life of Jesus by pouring ourselves out just as he did. The primary example comes from the famous passage in Philippians 2 when Paul exhorts the Christian faithful to share the mind of Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Greek verb emptied is akinosin in this context, and that Word has been adopted by scholars to express the core of Paul's Christology, kenosis, the act of self-emptying, of pouring oneself out, is for Paul the defining characteristic of Christ. It is therefore also a defining characteristic of all those who follow Christ. Now, fortunately for us, the outpouring and self-emptying was not the end of Christ's story, which means it is not the end of our story either. Again, looking to Philippians 2, Paul shares the joyful back end of sacrificial love, the mystical gift that fills the empty space back up again. Yes, Jesus poured himself out. Yes, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the ultimate self-emptying of the cross. And therefore, therefore, Paul says, God also highly exalted him, filled him, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This pattern of giving in order to receive, of losing one's life in order to find it, of emptying ourselves so that we might be filled with something infinitely greater, is what kenosis is all about. It's also what Easter is all about. Even what Christianity is all about. Kenosis is the essence of the Christian irony that those who give the most receive the most. That those who risk it all gain it all. While those who hoard and grasp are left empty in the end. So perhaps I was too quick to judge this Palm Sunday parade. 
Perhaps it was not really so odd or out of place. In Christ's experience and in ours as well, perhaps the before needs to be marked and lifted up just as much as the after. Because the triumph of Easter would not be nearly so triumphant if the pouring out and the self-emptying had not come first to create space for the knee-bending, the confessing, and the glorying. When I think about how critical it was for Jesus to be poured out like water, for his own heart to melt down like dripping wax, I am reminded of a Christmas story, which is not all that out of place today as we stand merely a week from Easter. Again, it was the pouring out. It was the humility of an immortal God who would empty the divine self so much that immortality would become mortal. That had to happen at the beginning to make the celebratory ending possible. In 1756, this story that comes to my mind, the Moravian community of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania had gathered for Christmas Eve services. The past few years had been difficult. Battles with Native American tribes had been bloody and costly. Farms were being burned. Families captured, killed, or scattered. Refugees were crowding into Bethlehem, looking for safety in numbers. So it could have been a very dark Christmas had it not been for a precious tradition that their beloved minister, Bishop Peter Bowler, brought back after a visit to the Moravian communities in Europe. Once the old, old story of Christ's birth had been recited, Brother Bowler called the children of the congregation up to the front of the old chapel, and he gave each of them a wax candle. Those candles were made of beeswax, known to be the purest kind of wax, and adorned with red crepe paper to represent the blood of Christ. And as Christmas carols were sung, each candle was illuminated in turn with the light of Christ. In what seemed like a mere instant, over 250 candles were ablaze in the church. And Brother Peter dismissed the children with the wish that their hearts would burn as brightly toward the child Jesus as their candles were burning. And then the children led the congregation happily out into the night with their still burning candles in their hands. And as the wax of each candle melted away, dripping down over the fingers and then down onto the dusty street, Every heart was emptied, melted, poured out with gratitude and faith so that those hearts might make room for the love of God that was coming into the world. The act of pouring out to make room for God to be poured in is the purest act there is. It is the most authentic offering any Christian can give. Yes, the celebration at the end 
deserves a parade, and we will offer one next Sunday. But today we wave our palms and we lift our hosannas to celebrate the courage and the love and the awesome gift of Christ's kenosis, a life poured out for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.